0: Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and while you're turning, let me say thank you to Ryan, Uh, I know you were blessed last Sunday morning, and uh, Coy and all that helped Coy uh, with the CPR training uh, last Sunday night, if you didn't come and something happened, you better be grateful somebody else was faithful and came and learned how to keep you alive. So we're thankful for all who came, and we look forward to continuing on those practical uh, things, such as uh, personal and uh, group security, safety, and we'll have several other classes throughout the year to deal with that. I tell you, I just, I don't know what's happening to the world anymore. I started using a tablet this week, and Matt read from a real paper Bible this morning. Everything's upside down. I I can't understand anything anymore. Um, As we continue in this series on uh, the laboratory of life, we we finish up with a, a blessed part at the end of three when he reaches a conclusion, but now he goes into another aspect of... Running a test to see if anything can replace the Lord. The words that Matt spoke from God's Word this morning, the music, just give me Jesus. And all the different sections of life. You know, no matter when I'm alone, when I'm bothered, when everything has gone haywire, and when I come to die, to the very essence of when all this matters... When the songs we sing, the Sunday school lessons we teach, the vacation Bible schools that we hold, and every Bible study and every message, it matters when people are at their last breath. Now, it matters every other day, but we really think about it then, don't we? But for us who are living, sometimes... We lie more on Sunday morning than we do any other time. We see each other and we put on our Sunday clothes and we pass each other crossing the street or in the halls or during a fellowship time or after the service. We say, how you doing? Good, how are you? And we just lie. Man, it's been a terrible week and you feel bad and everything has gone haywire and you say, I'm good. But you know, in Jesus, that's the whole point of this. I'll give you the the punchline. When he comes to the end of the day and he runs this test, he says all of it is vain. He says that 38 times. It's all vanity. It's all vexation of spirit. All the things of this life are just empty, popping bubble. So this morning as we begin chapter 4, We look at this fact. Life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. I would venture to say, everyone in this place has said that. We've gotten mad because our siblings, we thought, got a one-up on us. Our brother or sister got something we didn't get. Life isn't fair. Why does she get to do that? Why does he get this? Why do they win and we don't? Why? Life isn't fair. I'm going to tell you, the older you get, the more you realize life isn't fair. Because you'll look and say, why didn't I get that job? Why doesn't she like me? Why, Why is it that They have everything. And I work and it seems like it just everything falls in their lap and and I work and we work and we work and it seems like we're just beating our heads against the wall. Life isn't fair. Now this is coming from a man who had in worldly standards everything. Everyone looked up to Solomon's house and said, What's the deal? Why does he, does it, do they not know what his background is? Do they not know who his mama is? Do they not know what happened? Look what he's got. Why? What what makes him so special? Why does he get all the women? Why does he get all the best horses? Why is he the ruler and I'm not? Yet Solomon sat in his ivory tower and he said, I'm miserable. I'm absolutely, positively miserable because I have tried to fill that God-sized hole with the things of this world and it will not fit. You see, fulfillment in this life only is futile. Fulfillment in this life friends, recreation, vacation, work, all the things that this world has to offer. We're just saying it. But you know, and I will conduct a funeral right here Tuesday of a man roughly my age. And I'll never forget the day that we were walking together He said, man, my arm's killing me. He said, I don't know what's wrong. I've got to go have some tests, and I think I've torn my rotator cuff. And a week later, he was at Mayo being diagnosed with ALS. Life isn't fair. Why him and not me? I never heard my dad's testimony in its fullest extent until the last year I pastored at First Baptist Hiram as a 39, 40-year-old. And I heard my dad stand up and testify of how God had worked in his life. And I'd never heard my dad complain about any of this stuff. And my dad stood up, and he was frank, transparent, and honest. He said, for years and years I questioned God, why did my older brother die and not me? He was married, had a little baby. I was not married, had no children, and I had no answers. And I can't positively tell all of you today this is why, but I do believe God's will has been in my life, and God has allowed me to live. And for that, I will find the answers, he said, when I get to glory. But life isn't fair in our perspective. Everybody agree with that? It seems like the harder we work, the more we're taxed. And the harder we try, the less people care. And the more it seems like that we try to do good, the more evil comes against us. But when we say, I'm tired of fighting, I'm just going to go with the flow, we will find out that trying to find fulfillment in this life only is totally futile. Total vanity. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and I have to stop and really focus, because I told Matt, I said, the the thing is in Ephesians. He said, you're leaving Ecclesiastes and going to Ephesians? I said, they both start with E, figure it out. You know, I'm old. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Koaleth said, so I returned. And I considered all the oppression, all the oppression. He's saying it in a way that it's everywhere he looked. Oppression. All the oppression that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of such as were oppressed. And they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors, there was power but they had no comforter. Wherefore I praise the dead which are already dead more than the living which are yet alive. Yea, better is he that than both they which hath not yet been who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. I have just two simple, straightforward principles of this test on whether This life can fulfill us, or is there more? Well, we've stated the answer, life isn't fair. Let's see why. First of all, in verses 1 through 3, we see oppression. Oppression, what is oppression? Emily called me other night and said, Dad, I need help on a paper. I'm having to write about Satan and his work and how it affects people. And what do you think about it? And so I began to talk to her. And I said, Emily, as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us we've been bought with a price. Amen? We are not our own. You may think you're your own. You may think you can do whatever you want. But I'm here to tell you, there's a line God will not let you cross. And there's a place that Satan cannot touch. Now, somebody ought to say hallelujah right there. Because if you feel like Satan is all up in your playground, and it's like he's there when you open your refrigerator, and he's there when you turn the TV on, and he's there when you turn the lights off, and he's there when you get in your car, and when you get to the job, and when you go to school, and on the ball field, and everywhere you go, it's because he is. He's as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. But as believers... He cannot possess us, for we have been possessed by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, sealing us until the day of redemption. You didn't save yourself, you can't keep yourself. So stop with the arrogance of thinking, if I don't do enough as a believer, I won't stay saved. You didn't do enough to get saved. Jesus saved you, and it's His power that keeps you but he, Satan can oppress us, and he will oppress us. He'll oppress us on the job. He'll oppress us in our head. He'll oppress us in our heart. He will do everything in his power. Just look at Job. That is full-on oppression. Well, Solomon looked at the oppression on God's people, and he tells us right here that he considered all the oppression. And he beheld the tears of all that were oppressed. And he saw that those who were the oppressors had the power. And he said there was no comfort. God's word does tell us in Ephesians. Chapter 6 and verse 12. and hear this. We wrestle not, Church. Paul's talking to believers when he tells us to put on the whole armor of God and having done all to stand. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. I needed to hear the verses that Matt read this morning because sometimes in my life I get so angry at the filth And the stuff being spewed in every turn. In music, in society, there is no respect. respect, There is no restraint. And everything is wide open. And I just want to snatch them up with all my power. And I hear this quiet whisper. It's not worth your ordination. But we are to live peaceable with every power in our being as much as possible. But sometimes, don't you just get mad when life isn't fair? I mean, don't you? It's because, listen, it's not God, it is Satan. And it is his oppressors that come. First of all, Solomon says this oppression comes through political power. Once again, he said, spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, How does it come? I'm not going to get on a bandwagon. I've got news for you. There's enough guilt and oppression to go around in every political party. They're standing there poking their fingers at each other on TV, and they're having drinks together at night. You would think if there was anybody that would hate each other, it would be presidents and ones who run against them. And yet, we look at the picture at Barbara Bush's funeral, and George W. has his arm around Hillary, and we see Barack over there standing with Melania, and they're all yucking it up like they're all sorority and fraternity brothers and sisters. And yet, everything we hear every year, every election cycle is how bad each other is. Am I right? Hypocrites, all of them. So are you and me. And we use our political power, who we know and what we know. And here's what happens. And he said, all the way back when Moses was ruling and his own father-in-law said, Moses, you cannot do an effective job by yourself over this many people. You've got to have others who come in. But what happened? Solomon tells us back in Proverbs that unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord. You ever understood what that means? What is our symbol of justice in America? Scales. Balance scales. To where law should be, and it's got a blindfold. So that law and justice should not be a respecter of persons. But we all know it is. Why is that? You know why? Huh? The human factor. That's exactly right, Eric. Because of us. We interject ours. And listen, it is human nature to want the best for us and ours. That's just human. I mean, it has to rise above our heart to a level of who God is to understand what it means to give up what we feel is rightfully ours to help someone else. It's the oppression of political power. It becomes unethical. When we make decisions based on the situation rather than the rightness of the action, then it becomes an unethical decision. This past week was, or a week before it was tax day, Do we need to have an invitation altar call right now thinking about that? You know, get everything you can get legally. But when it goes past that point to when we fudge numbers and we say, well, they, there's no record of this and I did this this way, then it becomes unethical because we say, well, everybody else does. It don't matter what everybody else does. Don't tell Don't tell your spouse that when you fill out your taxes. If you're telling your kids that it don't matter. That it don't matter what everybody else does. You're supposed to do right. Well, then model it for them. Do right. Things will be right with the Lord. Political pressure, uh, power comes in unethical practices. Solomon was saying what had happened was the days of Eli and some of those had passed and now we're dealing with their sons and the unequal weights and the unethical practices of political power. We see groups today that this group says this group is doing this group wrong and all of these things and they it's a shell game moving around to where we try to make everyone else look as bad as we possibly can so that we can make ourselves look as good as we possibly can. And it becomes very unethical. Think about this. Not only in this political power, but let's, let's run it forward a couple thousand years. And now we're sitting in Pilate's judgment hall. Pilate's Judgment Hall. They have just brought Jesus from the garden where all he was doing was praying and they've arrested him and they've brought him in. And what have they arrested him for? Sedition. Being a traitor. Unholy, heretical apostasy. They've arrested God for claiming to be God. Here's what Jesus had done. This is what got him. Have you ever felt like, I didn't deserve that? Man, I, I didn't deserve that. Listen to me, young people. When you blow up and act a fool with your teachers or your parents, and you say, But, preacher, I did not do, I really, and, and you really didn't, okay? Let, I know everybody's innocent, but sometimes people really are innocent, all right? They really are. Any, have you ever gotten in trouble for something somebody else did? Honestly, now be honest. But so, have you ever gotten in trouble for something somebody else thought? If you're married, you have. Husbands, you've gotten in trouble for something your children possibly did. I can't believe you, you know, here's what happens, young people. I I see it more than ever before. I see 14-year-olds talking to 40-year-olds like, I, I can't even imagine, like a wild person. Well, they just, they're in my face and they're telling me, they're adults, okay? You're not. And sometimes you are innocent. Walk away. Because here's the deal. Jesus was innocent. Here's what he did. Here's what Jesus did. This is what got him crucified. If you've gotten in trouble, you've ever got suspended, you've ever got wrote up on the job, you've ever been talked to like a dog because of something you didn't do, here's what Jesus did. Jesus, how many of you wear glasses? Jesus took care of that for people who couldn't see. I mean, not just with glasses, he just fixed it. He healed blind people. You still look different without your glasses. You knew that was coming, right? But I mean, I'm jealous, I'll be honest with you. He healed the blind. Have you ever been so hungry you felt like you could feel your backbone? Now, we always had a rule in our house. We could not say, man, I'm about to starve because we never have been. I mean, that we have always taught, and my kids have now taught it back to me sometimes. I'm about to starve to death, and they'll look at me and point. You're right. I'm not. I've been places. I've been to the poorest economical country in the world Haiti and I've watched people who are starving I have saw it in the Roma gypsy villages in Ukraine I've seen it on the streets of Honduras and other places I've seen that Jesus fed them Jesus would go by the funeral home and by the time he left the only people who was mad was the funeral director because there wasn't nobody dead anymore I preached Wednesday night at Elza, and I preached on where Jesus cast out the demons and healed the Gadarene demoniac. And all they could think was, "This guy's not going to bother us anymore." That that wasn't what they were thinking. This guy had terrorized them. I mean, it was like watching a it was like Psycho every day of their life. You take Psycho and The Exorcist and all the movies that that haunted you when you was a kid. Pile them all together. That's this dude. He said, I'm legion. That was the demonic spirit that spoke. Why? Because there were many demons in him. And Jesus cast them in. It took 2,000 hogs to get rid of them demons. That's what it said. 2,000. And all they were worried about was, you just took our hogs. And they wanted him gone. Not the guy, Jesus. They, you got to get out of here. And so Jesus went to the cross in the ultimate exercise of inequality. A man who knew no sin. Now, makes you look at life a little different in that whole fair and not fair thing, doesn't it? Because he said, listen, they mistreated me, they'll mistreat you This life, what did we say to start with? Fulfillment in this life only is futile. He said, if you have hope in Christ in this life only, you're of all men most miserable. But our hope is not just in this world, church. I'll stand here and say that Tuesday. I'll say it this morning. I'll say it tonight because we're going to finish the second half of this book, or this chapter tonight. Oppression, unethical, inequality. You know what he said in Luke 23:4? This is the exact words of Pilate. I find no fault in this man. And yet through the political oppression of all those around, the high priest, all the Jews, all the other things going on, they said... We want him crucified, and Pilate, have at it. And through, listen, it wasn't Pilate's political power there. It was those around him and the power he was worried about losing. How many of us are compromising our principles and standing for the cause of Christ because we're afraid we may lose traction in our little circle of influence? If I stand for Christ, when everybody else is talking this way, and drinking this, and doing this, I'm afraid I may lose my friends. I'm, gonna hear, I'm here to tell you, if they're standing between you and God, they're not a real friend to start with. And I'm going to tell you, you're not being a real friend if you don't stand for what is right, and tell them that there's more to this life than that. That Jesus sent you into that circle of influence to show them there's a better way. You are that witness. I find no fault. So take hope even in the faith. But he said there, there seems to be no comfort. There's, there's this social pressure that gets put on immorality. The immorality of this life is running rampant. It's running rampant. I'm going to tell you, I have seen way more anatomy than I care to see. I'm just telling you. And mamas that want their daughters to dress that way is absolutely beyond my comprehension. And I've heard some mothers that don't want them, but they say, we can't buy anything. There's no place. I'm going to tell you something. Is somebody looking to go into business? Do something like that. Sadie Robertson. Now that Doug Dynasty and all that's over, you know how she's going to make her living pretty much, it looks like the rest of her life? She's built a whole line of young girls' fashion based on modesty. It's called the Three Mirror Challenge. Put them up in front of it, let them look at it, and let them. St- I'm going to tell you something. Life isn't fair, and it's not Kardashian-free. You say, I don't even know what that means. You are old. But when we are using stuff like that, and the foul mouth reprehensible people that our kids see as heroes, Oliver North last weekend, a true American hero, a true American hero, two silver stars, two purple hearts, a little frail man now. I, I was kind of blown away. I was like, wow, dynamite does come in small packages. But as I shook his hand and talked to him, and he was just as soft-spoken and humble But when he stood up to speak that night, he said, I want to speak to you of heroes. And he opened the Bible and he preached the Great Commission from Mark chapter 16. And he said, I'm going to tell you who heroes are. He said, the dictionary defines a hero as one who is willing to lay down their life for others. He said, you don't know what a true hero, he said, I've served among heroes, he said, but I'm going to tell you who my hero is, missionaries, he said, I've got two of my four children who are nurses, who are nurses on the mission field, my daughters are my heroes, because they're serving the Lord on the mission field, that's what he said, then ain't that what he said? I'm going to tell you something. Real heroes, real heroes is not ones who design $800 tennis shoes. And mamas and daddies ain't heroes for buying their kids $800 tennis shoes. And then say, we can't afford to go on youth camp and want everybody else to pay for it. Carry an $800 phone, wear Yeezys, Listen, you don't have to go to youth camp. Stay at home. We've empowered, we've enabled because of the immorality of the social pressure that we're supposed to make everybody feel good. I'm going to tell you, my dad didn't care how we felt. T.J. Hatcher. Anybody in this room beside my wife know who T.J. Hatcher was? T.J. Hatcher was my principal in high school. T.J. Hatcher was, he retired the year I graduated from being a principal. And then I walk in, I'm, I done got right with God. I mean, I'm preaching, I'm, I'm married, and, and God's working in my life, and I'm, I'm pastor in church, I'm all this. And I walk in, I'm working for Cobb County, I was a bivocational pastor, and I walk in, and there he stood. And he was working as a bailiff at the courthouse. And it absolutely I just I started getting a nervous twitch. And I I mean I just hunkered down. What'd I do? Man, I had this terrible flashback. I mean, it was it was post-teenage traumatic high school syndrome. He was not ugly. He was not mean. As a matter of fact, he was a godly man. He was my daddy's FFA teacher, and he became my principal, but he instilled everybody was going to be treated fairly, but you are not going to be treated unequally fairly in your eyes because you you think you're being treated unfair. He didn't care. He didn't care whether you felt mistreated. He didn't care whether you felt like you were left out. Those were the days before the participation trophies. You see, the immorality of social pressure goes like this Give us Barabbas. That's what it sounds like. Not give me Jesus. That's the difference, church. We sing, give me Jesus on Sunday, but too often in our lives, we go out there in the world and the Holy Spirit is saying, don't do it, don't go there, it's not worth it, yet we're crying by our actions, give me Barabbas. And the Bible says when we sow to the wind, we will reap the whirlwind. Social injustices. Listen, it goes against race, it goes against gender, and I'm talking about when we do not stand for the gender equality that God made us, not who we identify as, not who we somehow want to be somehow, I'm telling you something. I was born, you know when I was born, you know where I was born, and I was born to be met. Christopher Brady. I am a male. I will always be a male. I don't care what anybody says. That's who I am. Hallelujah. And I'm glad for it. And I'm thankful that my wife was born a female. And she's completely comfortable in being everything God has called her to be. She don't feel less than me. Women. Women. You're not less than a man. He you have been brought in because he looked at us men and said it's not good. That's biblical. It's not good that man should be alone. But there should be a woman to walk equal. And that listen, man, I, I don't want to burst your bubble, but if you sit in premarital counseling with me, you've heard this. Way before you get to that one verse you can quote out of the whole Bible. It's not Psalm 23. It's not John three sixteen. 16. It's wives are submit to the husbands. You need to go back and read about four verses before that one where he says that we're to submit one to another. Because there's some days, there's some days where I can't carry my load. Becky helps carry it for me. There's days she can't carry her load and I help carry it for her. There's days that we do different things. I can remember when when the kids were little, my job offered me the opportunity. I don't know if I'd call it an opportunity or... I, I took the kid... I can remember one very drastic, poignant time where I took one of them... For a round of immunizations, and this was the one they they gave them like five of them. They was band aids on the arms, on the hiney, on the thighs. They were stuck like a pin cushion. And I remember they 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 wasn't they wasn't happy about it to start with, you know. But then the after effects didn't feel good and all that. One time I took one of them to the. Doctor, listen, y'all want some good, sage, practical advice. All you young parents got it all figured out. I'm fixing to give you a wonderful because I see it on Facebook all the time. I'm still sitting here in the doctor's office. I don't know why I've been here for three and a half hours. I'm gonna tell you how to solve that. I'm, I'm being honest. So Emily or Ethan's sick. I don't even remember which one. They were real sick. And I went to the I can see it right now, man. I can see it. We went to the doctor. And we were in the sick room, and all the well kids are over there, and we're sticking our tongues out and saying, I hope you get sick too. And, you know, we're over here and we're isolated. You know, we're like, got a, you know, like leprosy or something. We're having unclean, unclean. And all the parents, don't go over there. They take us back to the room of ignoring. They've taken you and they have shut the infamous door of separation. And now you feel like you're in the room of silence. And that you'll die here. This must be what the Apostle Paul felt like in the dungeon. I'm sitting here and there's no toys. There's nothing but like 1983 life theme. What's those silly... And there's one thing in that whole book worthwhile, and it's like finding the things hidden in the picture, and you can do that in twelve minutes, and then you're done and then it's just like what well, here's here's the solution: do not wait more than about eight minutes. now everybody's got eight minutes in them, okay? Eight minutes is good, but now it's on them for triple booking every appointment, all right. Your time's important, too. Here's what you do. After eight minutes, and some of you that's really long-suffering for Jesus, you may go 10 or 11 minutes. But at that point, get up, open the door, and let your kid run free. (laughs) I am not joking. And I would sit in the doctor's little roll-around chair. I'd get on it and roll right up into the doorway. And I encouraged my children to play in the hallway. Play out there where all those nurses go say hey to them. Now, they've got a chart. They know they're sick. I'm telling you, you'll cut that three-hour wait down to about 14 minutes. They, they're like, can, can we help you? I said, oh, yeah, we're here for an appointment. Yeah, I mean, apparently. No, I didn't just drop in for a snack. I mean, there's no graham crackers. There's no juice boxes. I'm not here for a snack. I want my kid better. Yes, you can help me. Where's the doctor? People just seem uncaring, don't they? Does it ever aggravate you? I'm just being transparent. When people just walk in front of you like you don't exist. I mean, you're just walking through here and just they just... And they're daring you. They are daring you touch me. People just don't care. Let the door, and I'm not talking about waiting for 12 seconds for them to get to the door. They're standing behind you and they let let the door go. I don't care man or woman, I'm going to hold the door for somebody standing right there. It's just the way I was raised. And it aggravates the hound out of me. I, I'll be honest with you. I get in the flesh sometimes. I'm like, thank you. thank Hey, get there too. Appreciate that. Economic immorality. Where we'll do whatever we can to get what we want. Listen, listen to what he said. He said the oppressors had the power but they had no comfort. Wherefore I praise the dead which, had already, which are already dead more than the living which are yet alive. Now he's not saying that it's good to die, but he was drawing the, the picture that life's just hard and unfair and uncaring. And this economic uncaring, This we become so unbalanced because we say, I've got the education, they don't. I have the ability, they don't. I'm going to tell you something. When we, as the body of believers, start allowing ourselves to accept the pecking order of this world, we are diminishing the love of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus went to tax cheats. He went to prostitutes. He went to lepers. He went to the, the scourge of society and called him unto himself. You see, we cry, give us Barabbas, if we feel like that will benefit us. But Solomon says, there's no comfort from this world. Jesus said in John 14, 18, I will not leave you comfortless. If you're living without comfort today, it is because you're not allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to rest in your life. He saw the oppression of political power and social pressure. Can you imagine how many yes men he must have had? Even the people who like to have their yes men don't like their yes men. They don't respect yes men. They don't respect people who will say and do anything to try to appease and move up the ladder. You know who people respect? People of principle. And whether the world acts like it or not, they respect Christians who are faithful and trust the Lord as their guidance. That's just the truth. Why do you think so many people came to Billy Graham's funeral? Because he didn't compromise. He stood on his principle. He says, it's not me, I'm not great. Now look at verse 4 through 7. Again, I considered all the travail, all the heartache, and every right work that for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. The fool folds his hands together and eats his own flesh. Better's a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. He said, "The envious spirit in people—people people that one works and the other envies him, and the others work because they envy what everybody else." It's what it, someone has said: one half of everyone wants what's making the other half miserable. Think about that. One half of the population wants what's making the other half miserable because it's not in things. People looked up there and Solomon said, oh, the half has not been told. But Solomon sat there with all his yes men and all of his women with all their false gods. And everybody said, oh, King Solomon's great. And he says here, it was all vexation. My spirit was wrung out. I was miserable. And he died a broken man. Envy. Envy is literally... Willing hands, but a wicked heart. You see, work is important, but not for the purpose of keeping up. I've seen students, and I'll be real frank and honest with you. When I was in 11th grade, I was not where I was supposed to be with the Lord. Running with the wrong crowd. I'd started working after school because I wanted a car and all this stuff, and then I started, well, it's my car, so I can do whatever I want with it and all this kind of stuff, and I was hot rodding it and doing all this kind of stuff. And the more I worked, the more I'd have money to buy the radios I wanted and the tires I wanted and the hot rod stuff I wanted. So one day I just got really big on myself. I'm working, I'm hey, I'm pretty much taking care of things. I don't need school. I got a job. I don't know if my daddy ever talked to me firmer than he did that day. My daddy looked me in the eyes, and I don't, I'm not trying to diminish, or even, because my daddy quit in seventh grade. He said, I got news for you, son. You may do a lot of things in this world, but quitting sue ain't going to be one of them. And it was just in the tone of voice. He didn't say, if you do this, he didn't even allow for that. He said, it's not going to happen. And just by his look and tone of voice, I said, you know what? This may not be a good idea. My mother came up to me when I graduated. They put the hood around me and announced before the world, we present to you Dr. Matt Christopher Brady. I walked over to my mother, instead of her just hugging me, said, I, I'm so proud of you. I love you. She did all that. But she said, you know, I remember a day I didn't think we could keep you in school, and I'm surprised finally we're able to get you out of it. She said, it's been all the Lord. Some people have willing hands. They'll do whatever, but they're always trying to gain the upper hand. They're always trying to get more so they can keep up. And the more you get, the more you'll want. And it will never, Solomon said, it will never, listen, young couples, all the vacation homes, all the trucks, all the, the extreme trips where we can post everywhere and let everybody know on FaceBrag just what we've done will never, ever, ever make you a happier home. It won't do it. It will not do it. Yesterday was a pretty good feel good story. Believe it or not, out of the NFL. Twin boys by the name of Shaquille and Shakeem Griffin, who as twin toddlers, one had a deformed underdeveloped left arm and hand. So much so that it was so painful for him as a four-year-old that his mother heard him crying hysterically, didn't know what to do, jumped up, couldn't find him in his room. And when she passed the kitchen, she saw him reach and grab a knife to cut the little stubs off of his underdeveloped hand. The very next day, they were in the doctor's office and said, You're going to take those off. And they did. Those boys worked together. They had a father figure in the home. They, a father. They had a mother that loved them. And they, they instilled into them work and equality among each other. The dad did whatever he could. He, he would devise and engineer things so that he could do the same things and workouts and other things that his brother did. They both were stands out, standouts in high school in football, and the offers began to roll in for Shaquille They had two hands, and I'm going to tell you, son, you talking about a brother that sticks, sticks close, he turned down some of the biggest SEC and ACC and Division I schools in America. It says, if you won't sign my brother, I'm not going. And UCF, the current national champions, said, we'll sign you both. Both them boys played. The one with two hands got drafted last year. The Seahawks took him. And so this year, he waited, no invite to the combine. Waited, no invite to the combine. Finally, right at the end of January, he gets a call. His agent says, hey, you need need to look at your email. He looks, he's like, I got my invite. He goes. They predict all the talking heads. Oh, yeah, he's man, he's great. Except, he's wonderful, but. And they said this 40-yard dash, he'll run about a 4.6. They had it on ESPN. He takes off out of that thing, and I knew as soon as he'd come out of the gate, I said, this boy's smoking. When he crossed at 4.38, they went crazy. And then they showed the last number and then did a comparison. He ran faster than his brother by just a very millisecond. He pumped out 25, 22 or 25 reps on the, on the bench. press. I mean, he was fourth in that out of all of the ones he was competing against. He didn't go in the first round, didn't surprise anybody, but really they thought somebody would pick him in the second. And it ticked on. It ticked on. And it got into yesterday in the last picks, in the last few rounds. And the owner, the manager, the coach, all from the Seahawks, where his other brother's at, picked up the phone and said, son... We just wanted to tell you we're fixing to pick you. And I'm gonna tell you, I was crying when I was watching. I'll be honest with you, I was crying. That's a pretty good feel good story, isn't it? But you know there's a lot of shakims and Shaquils out there that wasn't drafted yesterday. Everybody on facing the giants don't win the trophy. Everybody don't get pregnant, everybody don't get the job of their lifetime, everybody's marriage is not perfect. Life is not fair. There are the Chris Webbers that don't have one more timeout. There are the Atlanta Falcons who blow a twenty-eight to three lead. I won't even get into the other sort sub- subject. The truth is, willing hands can also come from a wicked heart. We envy what other people have. But notice he said lazy hands. You know the Bible says that a man who will not work does not deserve to eat. Be careful when people tug at your heartstrings at the corner of the road to just give them 37 cents. It's always boggled my mind, why 37 cents? And now it's, hey, hey man, can you... It used to be a spare quarter, it's thirty-seven cents, is a buck. Man, inflation's killing us with beggars. Man, you got you got four or three dollars I can have. You pray about it. If God tells you to give, then it's on them. But pray about it. Don't just feel sorry for somebody. Because the Bible tells us that lazy hands is a languishing lie. I like to sleep late as good as anybody. But there's work to be done. And to sleep late, stay up late, don't work, don't do anything. I'm going to tell you, this millennial generation is going to break America. If we don't teach them, you've got to fend for yourself. Get a job. Amen? Amen? We have got to stop blaming everybody and everything. Life's not fair. Lazy hands, he said. Look look what he said. I'm just not going to tell you. He said the fool. He called them fools. Lazy people are fools. They fold their hands together and eat their own flesh. In other words, they're just going to starve to death. But he says in the next verse, Better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Nursery workers. You ever seen a kid that has both the toys in both hands, but the one that somebody else picks up over there, they want it too? That is biblical. It's the unbiblical flesh that teaches us We're born that way. We want what's not ours. We envy. We want everything else. We need to pray. Because listen, being fruitful is more important than being first. You hear what I just said? Being fruitful is more important than being first. And then look at this last few verses. He said, better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. You see, this whole idea of I'll just do it myself. I don't need anybody. I don't need a spouse. I don't need friends. This independent work will cause an empty existence. We isolate ourselves. The older we get, we get mean and bitter and, cold and indifferent and separated God has called us to be salt and light but if we're not around darkness and we're not around unsavory things then we can't be salt and light we must not isolate ourselves but we must step into the public arena into our circle of influence and we must not live a life of envy living a life that is caught up in oppression but showing them the victory that is Christ because ultimately this is what Jesus said about it. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Hey, do you feel like life isn't fair to you right now? Do you feel like you can't catch a break? Are you, are you dealing with relational issues, financial issues, physical issues, emotional, spiritual issues? I want you to hear these words Echo from eternity down to the very darkest, deepest recesses of your soul. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Amen? Look at this next slide. This sounds like me. This sounds like you. If life was fair, I'd have everything because I worked so hard. You ever felt like that? Man, you ever said this? I feel like everything I do, I'm just treading water. Or it seems like this past week's been one step forward and two steps back. And if I got everything I deserve from how hard I worked, I'd have everything. That's if life was fair. If life was fair, I'd have everything because I'm such a good person. Man, I'm good to my neighbors. I'm good to my mama. Sound like a Tom Petty song. Loves Jesus and America too. Listen. Listen. We can't be good enough and life is not fair. But as they come to the instruments, I want you to see this last slide. Come to me. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And I'll give you rest because life, Solomon said it, God's word says it, life is not fair. But the grace of God trumps fair every time. At the funeral home, at the hospital, in in the exam room, taking your finals. In uh, in the marriage, in the relationships, in the finances, at work, on the ball field, life isn't fair. But grace trumps fair every time. As an ambassador of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I invite you to come unto Jesus. Come unto Him. You're laboring. You're struggling. This life is just mistreating you at every turn. I get it. You're not whining. That's a fact. But nobody can do anything about it but Jesus. Come to Jesus. You need to be saved. You know you are miserable. And it's not just because life isn't fair. It's because you know without Christ you'll die and go to hell. And Jesus wants to save you. You know that. He know He died for you. Come. Come and beg Him to forgive you and save you. You're saved, but your life resembles that equality and of the world. You have issues that need to be settled where you're unfair in your business practices. You have issues in relationships. Whatever it is. You've blamed others. You've blamed God. You need to come. Tell Him. Tell Him. God already knows your heart. Come tell Him. Pray and seek God's strength to make you what He's called you to be. You've been saved, but you've never been obedient in believer's baptism. Listen, nothing will save you but Jesus. But if you're saved, you need to tell the world that by being obedient in believer's baptism. Eastside Baptist Church should be your home. God's telling you that. If he's telling you that today, come. You've been saved. You've been baptized. You're a member somewhere else. You've moved here, whatever. God wants you to be here now to serve, not to be served. Whatever you need to pray about today, stand and come to this altar. Stand, come to Jesus.